So I'm doing Matthew 20 and 21. If you would turn that in your Bible, please. I'm going to start reading from it. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. So this is a parable about the reversal of human expectations. Because when we read this parable... There, was, there were workers who worked for one hour and there were workers who worked for eight hours. And so our human expectation is that those workers who worked for eight hours would be paid more than those who worked for one hour. This is actually not how Jesus works in the kingdom. This is a story about the Israelites and the Gentiles coming in at the end. God's grace is unmerited. And it's equal to all of us. It's not a grace that is earned by works. And so when we read this parable, and we think somehow that it seems unfair, if in our hearts we we, we read this parable and we thought, gee, that seems unfair that some people would work all day and get paid the same wages as someone who worked for only one hour. Would you think that when you read that story? That is how the world works. That's a human expectation of how things work in the world. Jesus is saying that actually this is not how it is in the kingdom. This is not how it should be with you. It is not about unfairness. What it is actually about, this parable, is about the outrageous generosity of a landowner. It's about a God who gives, the Bible says that he will, he clothes the, the flowers, he feeds the birds, how much more would he give to us? He is outrageously unprecedented, doesn't calculate the generosity that he gives to us in his grace and his favor and his blessing upon us. 
It's not about our works. It's not about what we do to earn God giving us things in the kingdom. And when we read this scripture, when we read this parable, we realize that God doesn't work on merit. And again, he's saying, I work with covenant. God is saying, I'm giving you all of who I am, and I'm anticipating all of who you are back in exchange. And this is a story that's similar in the Bible to the prodigal son. There was one brother who stayed at home, and then there was a second brother who went out, wasted his inheritance, and came back. It's not about a brother who wasted his inheritance or a brother that stayed behind. It's about an incredibly generous, forgiving father who does not hold our sins against us and ran towards the son coming home. And we need to ask ourselves, is there anything in us that is the brother that stayed behind and some kind, some way expect that there's a works? I stayed at home all the time. I didn't squander your inheritance, Dad. What are you doing for me? And we need to ask how much of that is in our hearts in the body of Christ because that's opposite to the kingdom of God. When we were in South Africa, Yako and I were married for five years and we decided that we wanted to have children and two months later I fell pregnant. In the ministry team, we had a couple that was older than us who had tried to fall pregnant for 12 years. And so when I came and announced I was pregnant, she was so excited for me. And she said to me, the hardest thing that I had to learn was to rejoice in other people's blessings. She said, I went to baby shower after baby shower, bought baby grows in faith every single month, saw unwed moms, saw people trying, not even wanting their babies, rejoicing with them, yet every month I did not fall pregnant for 12 years. When we heard that we were, when I was in labor, she was at the hospital before I was there. I was in labor for 22 hours. She waited outside in great excitement and joy to rejoice with me, even though she was in such pain herself. We went to South Africa, and she went to her desk, and there was a blank check. There was obviously a very wealthy family. They put a blank check on her desk, and they said to her, you do whatever you need to in fertility treatments to fall pregnant. And she did. And they fell pregnant with twins. The couple that gave her the money, lost their firstborn 12-year-old daughter to cancer. They waited with her when she died for six hours, praying that God would raise her from the dead. Yet that couple was so excited when the twins were born because they understood the goodness and the kindness of God. God says, this should not be among you as a people of God. If we understand the goodness and the kindness of our Father, we rejoice when those who've worked for one hour get paid the same as those who worked for eight hours. Because this is the God that we serve. Ken, next. 17, sure. Sure. Verse 17. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, 
and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So this is very significant. We are moving towards Easter. This is the last seven days. Jesus is walking with his disciples towards Jerusalem. So he's walking from Galilee. He walks through through Jericho and he enters into Jerusalem as we read read along. And so he starts, he's just told his, his disciples this parable about his grace and his kindness. He then, we've just read, he calls his disciples aside and he says to them, I'm actually going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to be, he tells them, I'm going to be judged by the Jewish Sanhedrin, and that was exactly what happened in the day, because the the Jewish priests did not have the authority. They were under Roman occupation. So they sentenced Jesus, and they handed him over to the Romans, and the Romans were actually the one who scourged and crucified Jesus. So he brings his disciples aside as he's walking and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He's telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And it's the first time to his disciples he's being very specific. He's telling them, I'm actually going to die at the hands of the Romans, which means I'm going to be crucified. And then he says, on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. Verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for any, for many. So now Jesus has told them the parable about his grace. He's called the disciples aside. He's explained to them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to be crucified. And James and John's mother comes up to, to, um, comes up to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you get to Jerusalem and you become king, when you're throned, enthroned, please will you have my two sons, one on the left and one on your, on your right, when you rule in this, as king and let my sons rule with you. The other ten were thinking the same thing. They also wanted status and recognition. And so Jesus just looks at them and says, this is not how it is in the kingdom. If you want to be great, you have to be the least. And then he showed the paradox of giving his life for the salvation of many. 
And when, he, when they asked to sit at his right and left, in chapter 27, there were two men that were, the Bible says, on the right and left of Jesus. And those were the two thieves that were hanging on the cross. That's the throne that Jesus was offering. And he said to them, the cup that I'm going to drink was the communion cup. Are you able to drink this cup? And then he looked at them and said, you actually are able. Because in Acts 12, 2, James is martyred. And in Revelation 1, 9, John is on the island of Patmos for the word of God. And so the disciples were martyred and they were able to take the cup. But they didn't realize when they were asking Jesus what they were asking him for. They were asking for a position of authority. And Jesus was telling his disciples, you actually are going to have it. It's in you. You are going to have a place of authority. But your authority is in suffering and in dying and drinking this cup with me to show the love and grace of God. Sight for the blind. Verse 29. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want for me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. So Jesus, is, he's, tell, he's told them the parable about his grace. He's explained to them he's going to die. The mom has come and asked, can my sons have a position of authority? And Jesus says, yes, they actually can, not actually knowing what the future held. And then he's walking along, and even though Jesus knows he's going to the cross and he's going to Jerusalem, he stops. So in whatever God has called us to do, we cannot be focused on what it is without stopping in our lives to hear two blind men who start crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. They said, Son of David, because they said, well, if this is a king, maybe he's got a lot of money and he can give us money. They're crying out for, for, for him to stop. They're beggars to give money. All the pilgrims are on their way to Jerusalem because it's a time of Passover. And during this time, they became more generous. So the beggars started crying out all the more. And the crowd, the Bible says, the crowd said, shh, be quiet, be quiet. Stop shouting, and they carried on shouting even more. And then Jesus stops, and he looks at them, and he says to them, What do you really want? And they stopped to think, because they were actually asking for money. And they, as they stopped, they thought in the depths of their soul, what was it that they really wanted? They wanted to see. And they said, Jesus, we want to see. And Jesus knew that it cost them from years of begging to actually stop and think about what it was they really wanted. And the Bible says that as they asked to be see, that they could see that he, Jesus had compassion on them. He stopped. He was filled with compassion. He healed them. He gave them what they really wanted. And then the Bible says they left everything and followed him. And when Jesus has really given us 
the depth of what we cry out for in our soul, we have nothing else to do other than discipleship and to follow him with all of our hearts and minds. And I felt when I was preparing for this morning that God is asking us again, what is it that we really want? What is it that we're asking him for? Because it's his desire to give us what we ask for. We just need faith to ask him for more. And so, this, this is just a story. It sort of relates to it. I thought of, of it. As when we were on the island, we went across to another island on a little boat. And I'd walked along the beach. And Julia came running to me. And it was like, Mom, it's the best day of my life. Every day was the best day of her life. So I was excited about the best day of her life. She had found a nest of turtles hatching. Great excitement. We ran back. And Yako and I tried to get the baby turtles past these crashing waves and they were drowning. So it was so stressful because all the baby turtles were drowning. Yako and I were trying to save the baby turtles. And there was a nest. And at the nest, there were these... I mean, I like mongoose, but these ones were vicious. I mean, this is, they were eating the eggs and the baby turtles with these teeth. And there was Julia at the nest collecting all the little eggs and moving off these vicious mongoose. And we had saved all the ones that we could, and we were stressed. And was like, Julia, we're going to get on the boat now, and we're going to get back to the, where we lived, and we're going to put these baby turtles in the, in the mangrove so they can survive. And, I mean, Julia Lever and I didn't help her. I don't know why we left her there alone. But she looked at us and she said, I am not leaving until I have every single egg. That's what she said. And we had to wait until she hauled off the mongoose and got every single egg. And in the next two days, 112 baby turtles hatched. And I feel that sometimes in my life, I'm just okay with the ones that I can save that are crashing on the out again because it's so much easier and I get so stressed that I actually can't think of believing God for so much more than he has for me because I'm just trying to get through today. And I feel that that's what God is saying, that he will actually give us everything that we ask for because that's how good and kind he is. And sometimes we just stop and say, I just want this. I just want enough bread for me to eat, for me to have enough. And God is saying, but I have so much more to give you if you will believe and if you will ask me. And the thing is about, and we, we sang this morning, open the eyes of my heart so that I, would, that I would see you. And the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel. But we have had the scales that have come off our eyes so that we can actually see the goodness of God. And I continually pray over my life, over my family's life, over us as a community, God, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we would really see the depth of your goodness and your love and who you are and your, your incredible greatness and your love that you have for people, that I can have your compassion because I've seen the goodness of God. The Bible says we've seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. And at ladies' prayer on Tuesday, Sandy was saying, you know, it's so much nicer when we're older because we've walked with God for so long that we actually know in the depths of our souls the goodness of God. And Job said, after he had lost all of his children all of his possessions, 
and his health. When he went through what he went through, at the end he turned around and he said, God, my ears have heard of your goodness, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's what it's like in our lives. When these blind beggars were on the side of the road and they were crying out to David, to, to Jesus, David, like son of David, have mercy on me. And honestly, that's wherever we walk and what, if we're going to Superstore, there are people all around that are asking us, son of David, child of God, have mercy on me. Open my eyes so that I may see the greatness of this God that you serve. And that's the mandate that God has given us. We have seen. And so now I, what we have, we can give to others. In the name of Jesus, you rise up and walk. You see this God that we serve. So it's amazing. That's chapter 21. 22. Matthew. 21, sorry. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So up until this time, when we looked at the rest of the book of Matthew, every time Jesus healed someone, or every time people started saying, wow, you're going to be a king, he actually quietened, if you remember, he, kept, he quietened everybody, he slipped into the crowds, he didn't let people call him the Messiah. But now, Jesus is being overtly messianic. He realizes, not that he realizes, he now has, is starting his journey. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's outside of Jerusalem. He's coming into Jerusalem, and he doesn't hide the fact that he is the Messiah. He tells his disciples, go and get a donkey and the colt and bring them to me. When you get there, the people will know that, those, that that's for me. Bring them to me. And as the, the, the colt arrived, the Bible says that the crowd... This is a Galilean crowd. This is the crowd that have gathered with him that are coming into Jerusalem. It's not the same crowd in chapter 27 who screams, crucify him, crucify him. It's not a fickle crowd. It's a different crowd. It's a crowd who's come with them on the pilgrimage. And as they, they come, they only have one coat. They probably only have one coat. They took off their coats. They put it on the donkey. They put it all, over the, all on the ground for him. They cut branches, palm leaves probably, 
and they start waving the palm leaves. They sing songs of David and they start welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. And Jerusalem and Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Kings rode on donkeys in times of peace. David, after he had defeated Absalom, he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. He came in in peace. King Solomon, on his way to his coronation, came into the city on a donkey. So Jesus was being very specific when he came into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was declaring that the king, in peace, was coming into Jerusalem. So he comes into Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is go to the temple. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise for yourself? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. So Jesus is very, is very clearly declaring that he is the Messiah. He comes into Jerusalem with crowds singing Hosanna to the son of David on a donkey and he goes straight to the temple and it was actually in the temple all the, the, they say that there was about 150,000 extra people who were in Jerusalem at the time because it was Passover. So they, were, so they were camping everywhere. Everything was full of people. And people who had been on the pilgrimage couldn't bring their lambs and their, and their offerings because they couldn't carry them. So what they would do is that they would bring their money of currency. They would then exchange their money of currency and buy a lamb. Or It says specifically in here that Jesus says that he overturned the tables of those selling doves because the poorest people bought doves. Those who actually couldn't afford to buy a lamb were buying a dove. And so Jesus went in and was like, you are, this, is, this is the temple. It's actually, it was in the temple in the courts where only those who were Gentiles were allowed to go. The Gentiles weren't allowed to be anywhere else but in the outer courts. They were coming with their, with their hearts ready, and the, and the, uh, with the Jewish people ready to worship God. And here were people in the temple of God, exchanging money, making a profit off them, especially the poor. And Jesus walked in, and I, I don't think it was as dramatic as we, we think it was, because he was alone, and nothing happened afterwards. He didn't, none of the authorities did anything about it. What Jesus was actually doing was his, he was being very specific in saying, this, these sacrificial things that you are doing now, buying animals and selling them, it's over. I am the sacrifice. And so he overturned, not because he was angry. The people were probably all there selling things again an hour or two later or probably the next day. But Jesus was actually addressing the Sanhedrin, 
the Jewish leaders at the time, and they were infuriated with him. He was coming in and saying, you have allowed selling and profit where God came to bring in restoration and healing. And he overturned the the temples, and then he did the most beautiful thing. It says, after he turned in, he he overturned all the temples, all the money was flown everywhere as Jesus had a righteous anger. And then he walked, and then it says he walked around and he healed the blind and the lame. It was so specific that he healed the blind and the lame. Because in 2 Samuel, David and his men went in and they were going to take over Jerusalem. They wanted to, they said, David, there's this amazing city, we are going to conquer the city. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem said, well, you know what? Tell that to the blind and the lame, and they'll fight against you, and we'll defeat you. And mocked David and mocked his men. David's men went up the water shaft, the Bible says, got into the city, and defeated the city. And David said, no blind or lame people will be in this city because that's a mockery against God. These are God's enemies. No blind and lame are allowed here in Jerusalem. Jesus said, the blind and the lame, I'll heal them because that's who I am. That's the character of God to heal the blind and the lame. Those are the enemies against, of, of, of God and Jesus healed them specifically. And then the children started to cry out in praise towards God towards Jesus, because strength is in praise. It is such a beautiful, everything that Jesus did is so incredibly beautiful. Everything that he was telling his disciples, it goes on then to the barren fig tree, and I'm actually just going to end it off, but he goes out, from there he goes out and he sees a, a fig tree, and the fig tree is full of leaves, and they should have had early fruit, but there was no fruit. And Jesus cursed the fig tree, and it just shriveled up and died. I mean, imagine being his disciples. Wow, <laughs> you know, that's it. Because what, what Jesus was saying, if there's leaves and no fruit, that's what the temple's like. There's no fruit in your lives, and so therefore he cursed the fig tree, and the fig tree then went, died. The next, after that it goes on, and it's, um, it speaks about the tenant who had, uh, who had land and the owner came to, to get uh, after the, the, the wine had produced, the, the, the grapes had produced wine, came to, to um, receive from it. The tenants killed every, all the prophets and then eventually the son, who was Jesus, and goes on as a parable to fulfill the fact that Jesus was coming to die. And so chapter 20 and 21 and it also says, um, in the scripture, it says, if you have faith, you can ask this mountain to move, and it will be thrown into the sea. The mountain that Jesus was talking about was Jerusalem, because the temple was going to be destroyed in 40 years' time. 40 years after the death of Jesus, the temple was destroyed. And Jesus was saying to his disciples, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it will be removed. And so I felt that that's what what God was was saying to us this morning. In chapter 20 and 21, as we're preparing for Easter, it's just the incredible grace of God, his kindness, the fact that he's dying to bring life. He's telling his disciples to be great in the kingdom. You You have to serve. 
Don't compare yourselves to one another. That's the way of the world. Don't let it be like that with you. Rejoice when others rejoice. And he's explained, he's, he's prophetically coming in, he's, and, and, and in, this, in the acts that he's doing, and he's confronting the religious leaders at the time who have trees full of leaves but no fruit. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to remove you and I'm going to bring in all those, the Gentiles, into the kingdom of God. And I felt that, that God wanted us just to sit, and I'm going to end off by just saying, just, just think about what it is that you really want from God today. Because he's conquered death, he's conquered the grave, and the Bible says that he will do more than you can even wish or imagine. Things that are impossible with man are possible with God, if you would only believe and so if there's things in your life, circumstances that have come in and you've dreams that God has given you that somehow you've put aside and thought this is impossible, with God all things are possible. He came so that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. God has put before us as a church, as a community, as people, an open door. Those things that you open on earth, God says he would release. Those things that you close, God says are closed. We are under an open heaven as a community. Now I'm just going to wait for one minute before we take communion and think of what it is. What is it that you really want? Father, we thank you that this is a time of the year that we are moving into the, the, cru- the time where you were crucified. The time of Easter where we think, we stop. And as you walked from Galilee into to Jerusalem, you stopped for those who cried out to you. You explain to your disciples how gracious and kind that you are. You rode into Jerusalem victorious as a king, knowing that you would die. Into the temple. And those that were outside, you brought in. Father, we don't want to be the way of the world where we don't rejoice with others when they rejoice. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness, Lord. That you said it should not be this way among us where we want status or recognition the world's way. But as the King and Messiah, you laid aside your robes of heaven and came to earth and took on our robes of unrighteousness so that we would be set free. And you've given us the greatest gift that mankind can, Father, that's wealth of spirit and inner peace. 
And Father, we pray for gratitude to rise up in our hearts. 